welcomes that you have had, extend our welcome to you. If you're just joining us, we are thrilled that you're here, and uh, we hope you'll hang around a little bit and let us get to know you. Um, if you are just joining us, we are in the middle of a, a series um, we're calling The Real God, and um, we are looking at different attributes of God, of how He wants us to see Him. Along with that, this is something that is, is throughout the whole congregation. And so our class times are doing this, both children's classes, youth classes, adult classes. And, and then we're going to talk about it in here, hopefully, so that you will be equipped to take that home and continue to meditate, to pursue those, kind, those attributes that we talk about during the week. And so in order to do that, we're giving you some resources that are online. And uh, last week we had some papers out there that were uh, printed off and they were wrong. And so they had the wrong address on them. So we're going to simplify things this week. Um, this week, you just need to know to go to our website. That is hcoc.church. You can remember that. That's simple. That's easy. If you haven't been there, you need to go there anyway because uh, there's been a lot of work. Steve McMillan has put in a lot of hours. Um, if you like anything on there, you need to tell him. If you don't like it, you can tell me. It's my fault. Um, but if you like it, the good stuff he did, and uh, the, if, you, if you click on it, it looks like this. This is, this is what it looks like, and you can, you can go to that website, and then if you scroll down, um, we couldn't do it live because we're not that cool, but if, if you scroll down, you'll see a link for the real God. If you click on that, then that will take you to a page that will give you the instructions to register to get those resources. There's little videos that you can watch with your, uh, with your, your family. It's like a little three-minute video, and then you can discuss it. It'll give you the questions, and it ties into everything that we have done here. So that all is going to go together uh, as, as part of what we're doing uh, as a church as we're delving into the real God and who God longs for us to see, how God longs for us to see Him. Last week we talked about God's goodness. This week we're going to talk about God's sovereignty. And, and sovereignty is one of those big words, it's a big fancy word that, that we're not really sure what it means. We kind of have an idea, but we're not really sure. One of the definitions that I found is the quality or state of being sovereign. Well, that's helpful. Or of having supreme power or authority. The status, dominion, power, or authority of a sovereign. Royal rank or position. Royalty, supreme and independent power or authority. So the sovereignty of God, the authority of God, the royal rank of God. That's what we're talking about this week. One of the things you used to hear the old preachers talk about, and they were absolutely right, is they would say that everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. What that means is that we're real quick to delve into the mercy and the kindness and the goodness of God, but when it comes to things like sovereignty, God being in control, we don't like that as much. We like to be in control. And and. <laughs> As, as we delve into this, we look, at a, we, we look at what a problem we have with sovereignty, and that's kind of the root of, of our problems as a whole. I mean, it, it, everybody in North America would agree that there's something wrong with the human condition. Now, the reason I know that is because you go on Amazon, you go on any of the bookstores, and you'll find half the store devoted to what's wrong with us. Or how to fix it. 
We have, we have half the store in, in self-help books. And, and you'll see these books and they're all basically saying there's something wrong with you. There's something busted in you. Here's how to fix it. A big, big portion of them will be in, in, in physical self-help. That if I could just get my body under control. If I could be a little bit firmer in all the right places, if I could be a little bit sexier, then, then I know everything would be good and I would be fulfilled and I would be whole. All right, there's another whole section that's all about money. And, and it's about managing money and making money and investing money and growing money. And if we could just get a handle on our money, if we could just manage our money instead of our money managing us, then we would be happy. We would be fulfilled. We would be whole. There's a whole other section. I don't know what to call it. We're going to call it the Oprah section. Because it's basically this idea of authenticity or, or, or mindfulness. And it doesn't really tell you how to do those things. It just tells you that you need to be doing those things. And, and that if you would do more of those things, then, then you would find yourself and you would be fulfilled and you would be whole. And then, so you have literally half of the store, half of the website on, on these self-esteem books that, that if I would just believe in myself, if I would just trust in myself, if I would just stop being so hard on myself, if I would just realize that I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me, that, that everything would be okay. And everybody knows there's something wrong with us. This is not just Christians or spirituality. You go take the most pagan guy you can think of, the most pagan guy you know. You take him out and you have a cup of coffee. And you ask that guy, what's wrong with the human condition? And you'll get all kind of answers. Oh, man, it's the educational system. Oh, man, it's government. Oh, man, it's the fake news. Oh, man, it's the liberals. Oh, man, it's the conservatives. Oh, man, it's this, it's that. Everybody has a, a reason for what's wrong with us. But we all agree that something is wrong. Now, the church jumps in on this too. We go, well, it's sin. Sin is obviously the problem with the world. The church would say, it's, it's sin that is obviously the whole problem. But then we go, okay, but what does that mean? What, what is sin? Sin is usually something somebody else does that I don't do. We go, well, you know what? It's, it's addiction. It's drunkenness. That's what sin is. Uh, these people who are out there getting high, these people who are strung out, that's what sin is. But you know, Scripture would say that being religious, being religious outside of an active relationship with Christ is just as sinful. Now, nobody preaches that one. You're not going to get anybody to tithe with that little nugget. But it's true. From very early on, the Old Testament, the Old Testament points outside of itself. The Old Testament says that it sets up this system that's, that's impossible for us to achieve. It, 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 the example I give you would be the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not really all that deep. We're not talking about deep theological. This is morality 101. Don't kill people. That's pretty basic, right? Um, don't lie. You'd probably be better off if you didn't touch your neighbor's wife. Um, you'd probably be happier if you didn't focus on what everybody else had and you just learned to be content with your own stuff. This is not deep. This is morality 101. The problem is that if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves and we grade ourselves on this, we can't even pass morality 101. 
So uh, what I'm saying, and, and the, the, the truth of Scripture is that the Ten Commandments, the law, was not given to us that, that we might perfectly obey every facet of it. It's given to us to teach us that we cannot obey. Paul will later say the law, the law was kind of a, a, a babysitter, a nanny, that, that kept watch over us until we were ready, until the right Time. And so the entire Old Testament is this kind of circular thinking that, that the people disobey and then God comes and rescues them and, and then the people disobey and then God comes and rescues them and then the people disobey and then God comes and rescues them and on and on and on and on and on. But the whole time it's promising that there's a new day coming. There's a promise coming. There's a Messiah coming. Romans 1 will say the nature of sin, which means all sin... Can, can be traced back to, to one of three things. And here's what it is. Everybody's guilty of this, whether it's me or you or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, whoever you want to put up here. Nobody gets away clean. And it's one of these three things. Everybody, here's how it works. Romans 1 says that you and I, everybody in this room, everybody who's ever lived on the planet, have pursued creation rather than the Creator. That means we've said, forget God. I don't want God, I want His stuff. I don't necessarily need God, I just need all the stuff that He's made. I don't have time for God because I'm busy chasing all God's stuff. We don't necessarily want God as much as we want stuff. We spend our life, we spend our time, we spend our energy, we spend our money chasing the stuff. Chasing the, the, the things that God created. Now the problem with that is that God created all those things for us, for His glory. So all those things are good and they're right as long as they're used in the proper context. But the problem is, is that, that cars and money and, and, and things make really awful gods. And so that's the first nature of sin. The second one... The second one is this. Everybody in this room, me, you, the elders of this church, whoever the most holy person you can think of is, we believe the lie over the truth of God. Now, now let's break that down as simple as we can make it. One way or another, we believe that we're smarter than God. Now, we're not saying, God, bring on the trivial pursuit because I'm going to smoke you. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying, I believe that I'm smarter than God. I believe that I know better than God because I see the plan. I see the, the, the a rule that God has laid out for me. I see the direction that God wants me to go. And I say, no, I'm not going to do that. I know better than you, God. I know better than you in my marriage. I know better than you with my parenting. I know better than you in my life, in my career, in everything. I know better than you, God. And so we keep going down that path. And the third problem, and this is, the, this is a monumental problem, then we'll get to how religiosity is just as sinful as wickedness, is that all of us have failed to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Now what that means is that if, if God is the creator of all things, if God is the king, if God is the absolute authority over all things, that means all that you have, all your natural abilities, all that you've accumulated because of those natural abilities, everything that you have belongs to God and has been given to you by God for God. So when we touch it, when we make it our own, when we pretend that it's something that belongs to us, it's blasphemy. 
Now let me tell you why this is such a bigger deal. This is so much of a bigger deal than going, going you know what sin is, sin is lying or sin is stealing. That, that all those things are true, but, but, but the, those, those things are outward expressions of a sinful heart. They're symptoms of the bigger disease. The nature of sin, and let me tell you why, why this, is, this is devastating. You, you can morally and evangelically do everything right and be just as pagan and just as wicked as any horrible person you can imagine. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. Let's say you go out of this place this morning, and, and you're convicted, you're cut to the heart, the Holy Spirit has, has convicted you, and you leave this place, and you sell everything you have. And you take all that money. Now, some of our college students, y'all have about like $13. The rest of us, you've been at this a little bit longer. You sell everything you have, and you take all that. You cash in your IRAs. You cash in your retirement. You take everything you have, and you go over here, and you give it to the poor. And then you go to the throne room of God, and you say, look what I've done for you. And God says, it was already mine. You didn't do anything. The Bible says in Isaiah that our righteousness, those things that we think we're doing that are right, is dirty rags. And so God's saying, that's nice, take your dirty dish towel and get out of my throne room. He says it a little nicer than that. The idea is that we don't have anything. This, this makes us nervous, y'all. It should make us nervous, Right? It should, it should make us realize that even if I've lived my life in, in perfection, according to our definition, but according to the Bible, I'm still guilty. That, that if I believe that my righteous acts are better than the cross of Christ, I'm still guilty. I have to acknowledge that God is king. God is over everything. So now some of you are sitting there going, well, then we're all condemned, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's the point. That's pretty much the point. That, that we have nothing that's intrinsically valuable to God. We have nothing to barter with. I can't say, God, I'll give you three of these for one of those because they're all already His. And that's not the way this works. I can't say, God, look at me. I'm going to be righteous and I'm going to be holy and I'm going to do all those things. God's going to say, first of all, you're lying because you can't do that. Paul says nobody's righteous, not even one. Nobody, that means you. You can't be righteous enough to give me anything, and anything that you bring to me was already mine to begin with. That's the terrifying nature of God's sovereignty. That we're in a mess. There's nothing that I can do to fix myself. There's no amount of righteous acts or religious acts or goodness that's going to save me. That's scary. Because the answer everybody's got in their heads is that, well, God just forgives us, right? That God just forgives us. The problem is, it doesn't really work. He can't just forgive us or He's not just. We'll get to that aspect of his nature later. But if God just looks at your sin and says it's not a big deal, then he's not just. He's not right. He's not. 
what I mean by this is let's say that there was a judge and, and, and one, of, one of the murderers that's in prison here in Huntsville went before him. And, and he, this murderer went in front of him and the judge said, meh, it's no big deal. I'm going to let you go. You just got to promise not to do it again. And the murderer says, well, yeah, I, I promise. But, you know, God, there's some people that just need it. You know, have you met those people? Some people just need a little killing. I'm sorry, it's going to happen again. But I'm going to try my best not to let it happen again. That's ridiculous, right? We would not, uh, we would not stand for that kind of justice system. That, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal. The message for us is that we are caught in a pit of our own sin. A pit we can't get out of. A pit that we created, but that we can't make our way out of. But that Jesus loves me right now, just the way I am. And that by faith, if I believe, if I repent, if I confess and I'm baptized, I can be saved. That's good news. We call that gospel. Here's what's happened. Somehow the message of your helplessness, your your frail, useless brokenness, and the necessity of Christ, the glory of Christ, has been replaced with, you're good, I'm good, we're all good, and the answer is just being better. It's like a cult of self-esteem. But it's not scriptural. If we had time, I'd take you through the whole Bible. We don't have time for that, you're lucky. But, But... that, that we could go from beginning to end. We, we could look at how God deals with people. God deals with, with, with Abram and Sodom and Gomorrah and, and in Genesis 18. And, and Abram says, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Later, in Genesis 32, when he's talking to Jacob, Jacob's going to say, I'm not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. Fast forward into Exodus, he's going to talk to Moses, and Moses is going to say, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out? And, and, and nowhere does God go, oh, it's okay, don't talk so bad about yourself. It's okay, you're good. You're not as bad as you think you are. We, we could keep going. We could go through uh, all the Scripture. I'm, I'm not. But we could go through all the Scripture and look at how over and over and over again these people say, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm not righteous. I'm, 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 I'm ashes before you. And God says, yes. Yes, you are. In no instance in any of those Scriptures does God ever correct themselves. Does he, does he ever say, now that's not true. Don't be so hard on yourself. When we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, we have to acknowledge that compared to Him, we're nothing. We don't like to acknowledge that. That's why we don't talk about this a whole lot. When we acknowledge that God is king, we acknowledge that, that we're not. And then we stand in awe of, of who he is, uh, of who his majesty. I mean, doesn't the entire planet communicate that, right? Think about it. Where do we vacation? We go to the ocean or we go to the mountains, right? We go to places that inspire awe. We go to places that make us feel small and insignificant, Nobody vacations in Abilene. 
the two people who are listening to this in Abilene are really mad at me right now. But you don't. You don't go, oh, you can just see forever. It's wonderful. No, we go places... We go places that inspire awe in us, that make us worship because it makes us feel small. That's us. That's our nature that's drawn to the sovereignty of God, that we are small, that we are, are, are tiny in comparison to Him. Let me read you Isaiah 41, 14. In, in Isaiah 41, 14, Jacob cries out to God and says, I'm a worm, I, I, I'm a maggot, I'm worthless. And, and this is his prayer to God. And, and God's response is, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I'm the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Today, we would like to say, Oh, you're not a worm, Jacob. You're a beautiful butterfly. But God doesn't say that. God says, You're right, you're a worm. But I'm God. And I'm going to make it okay. So, as we're winding down, trust me, turn over to Matthew 5. And, and, and as you're turning over there, that's why for some of us, church is so exhausting. Right? Church is exhausting. You know why church is exhausting? Because we, we get this idea that, 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 that we have this pressure that we have to be okay. That we have to be perfect. That we have to be, we, we, be, be right with everything. And, and we start learning all these rules and all these laws. And then we realize that we can't obey them all. But instead of acknowledging that and saying, I'm, I'm worthless, I can't do this. We try to pretend like we're not. We try to stand up and say, I've got this all together. I'm really, I'm doing everything. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm blessed. How are you? Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's gnawing at us on the inside because we know that's not true. We know we're not even close, and it's exhausting. It's a far cry from David in Psalm 40. David would, would say, I'll never keep quiet about my sins in the assembly. I can tell you this, you'd only ask David how he's doing once on a Sunday. David, how are you doing? David, well, let's sit down, let me tell you. You know, you wouldn't ask him that again. There wouldn't be any, I'm fine. There would be, oh, I'm worthless. How long will you forsake me, O oh Lord, is what David says. The problem with that is pretending robs us of the power of the cross. You hear me? Pretending robs us of the power of the cross. It steals from us the very depth. It steals from us our shot at truly being transformed. So, so, Matthew 5. Here's the first sentence of the first sermon from Jesus to the crowds. The, the first few verses of Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes on and on, and it's blessed are the ones happy, are the ones being healed, are the ones growing in depth, are the ones worshiping, are the ones who are keenly aware of their inadequacies, of their failures, of their uselessness, of how prone they are to wander, of their difficulties. Blessed are the ones who keenly understand their brokenness, for they will be comforted. 
So there are a couple of paths here. There's, there's this one guy who's trying with all his might not to be the mess up that he knows he is. And every time he hears somebody say, you're a hypocrite, you're a failure, he goes, I know i got to try harder. i got to do better. I, I, I hate this sin, and I'm going to keep working on this sin, and I'm going to work harder, and I'm going to do better. And, and he comes to church every week, and he hears, he hears sermons on best practices. And, and he comes and he tries, I'm going to be better. And, and this is what a Christian should look like, and so I'm going to try my best to look like that. And, and he knows he's not living up to it, and he gets overwhelmed, and he gets depressed, and he thinks it's not working for him. And he contemplates just giving it all up. And that's track one. And you can hop on that if you want to. Good luck with that. Track two is somebody says, hey man, you're a hypocrite, you're a failure. And you go, I know. Isn't it crazy that Jesus loves me? Isn't that amazing? How awesome is he that that he loves somebody like me? Isn't that ridiculous? And when somebody says, I don't want to go to church because there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites there, you go, I know, right? I fit right in. Because I go there and I talk about all these things I want to do, and then I go back out and I don't do them. You know, you're in pretty good company. Read Romans 7. That's what Paul says. Everything that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I want to do, I don't end up doing. Wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? That's track two. Now, I don't know how the gospel got hijacked and got turned into be clean, and when you're clean, you'll be great. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be the gospel of self-help. may even be the gospel of Oprah. But it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a third track, and there's a track C where those worthless sinners, those, those people who have been redeemed by Christ and, and who now are, are, are cleansed don't remember how worthless we once were. And we start thinking that we did this because we're somehow good. And, and we start thinking, if everybody just be more like me, the world would be better. If I could just teach everybody to be as righteous as me, everything would be great. If, if you were being the Christian you ought to be, then you'd be more like me, and, and there wouldn't be a problem. But that arrogance directly contradicts the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God says that there is only one who is in control of everything, and it ain't me. That's why arrogance in the gospel can never hold hands. It's the same reason why the gospel of self-esteem and the gospel of Jesus Christ can't coexist. You can't be arrogant if you understand the gospel. It's hard to judge people when you understand how lowly we all are. It's hard to judge another person when I realize my own sinfulness. It's hard to walk with a swagger and tell other people what they should be doing. The gospel of Jesus Christ creates humility, gentleness, and graciousness. The sovereignty of God means that He is in control, not me. The sovereignty of God means that He is God and I am not. The sovereignty of God means that He sits on the throne, not me. And that anything else that I put on that throne is sinful. Whether it's myself, my family, my children, my job, whatever. Whatever I put on that throne that is not God. Whatever I think I'm saved through. Anything that I think I'm saved through other than the sovereign grace of God is blasphemy, period. And I need to repent. 
That was John's call. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This morning, if you need to repent, that's, that's what we're here for. We're not here to say, come be like us. <laughs> You're already like us. We're all just sinners. We're all just worms, like Isaiah says. Not one single person in this room, not one single person in this room has got it all together. Not one single person can say they're righteous. Not one. We're all in need. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And we acknowledge this morning the sovereignty of God. That God is king. God is in control. And we come together here to lift Him up. To exalt Him. To worship and praise Him. And declare that He is God. He is Lord. He is King. That's what we're here for. If you need to repent this morning, if you need to say, hey, I've got this wrong and I want to get it right. I want to put the king back on the throne and take me or whatever else off of it. Let us pray over you. Let us go with you into that throne room. Not that we have any magic power. We're not holy. But we know the one who is. If you realize this morning, I'm sinful, I'm in this hole of sin, and I can't get out of it, hey, that's not me, y'all. That's the Holy Spirit of God convicting your heart. And He's telling you this morning that you need to repent, that you need to confess, that you need to be baptized, and you need to be raised in a new life. And what happens then is that that Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, comes to take residence inside of you. And there's nothing more powerful than that. That the sovereign King of glory lives in you. Hallelujah. That's something to sing about. Whatever we can do to help you this morning.